The world may be on fire, but there are changemakers that are even more fired up with a commitment to do some serious good. You're listening to People Making Things Better, where we interview folks who you maybe haven't heard of before, but who are having a big impact on today's issues with the environment, equality, human rights, public health, and more. We're not afraid to ask the tough questions about how they're able to do work that the world needs and still get paid for it. Listen in and get inspired because the world needs you in action too. I'm your host, Bert Westfall, and I'm joined by my co-host, Melinda Jackson. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the People Making Things Better podcast. This is one of your hosts, Melinda, and I am, of course, joined by my co-host, Britt. Britt, how's it going today? Hi, Mel. It is going well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I am so excited about um, our new episode and excited to tell our audience all about what I discussed. I was on this week with Ashley Benson, and Ashley is the director of impact for a company called AgriCycle Global. And she has a super cool role because essentially what she does is make sure that what the company does kind of aligns with their greater mission. And she talked to me all about how this company was founded. She talked to me in a lot of depth about how they use their work to help to empower women farmers um, in different East African countries, as well as bring amazing products that are made from food waste, like right to the doorsteps of people here in the U.S. So it was an awesome, awesome interview. Yeah, I'm super excited because I was looking at the website and the product looks amazing. Not only beautiful website, really beautiful branding, but the products um, look amazing. And the way she describes them in the interview definitely got my mouth watering. But also, I think it's cool that we had her on because it's a little bit different. So she's not the founder of the company, but she is the head of impact, right? Sometimes it can be good to do other roles besides being the founder if if you're not quite sure of the entrepreneurship thing. So I thought that was cool too. You're totally right. Like sometimes it's like, there are a lot of awesome ideas that are out there. And I feel like a lot of our listeners probably have a lot of amazing ideas that they might want to pursue, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to put yourself into a founder role. Like there are a lot of other cool ways for you to do the work that you love, but maybe in a position that's a little different, or maybe you are hopping on with a, a, a person who's trying to create an organization and you might help with the design or help with social media. So there's a lot of different ways to actually get involved in these things. I'm glad that, that Ashley brought that out in this interview. Totally. Well, let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to People Making Things Better. It's Melinda, and I am so excited today. I am here with Ashley Benson, and Ashley is the director of Impact for a company called AgriCycle Global. Hi, Ashley. Hello. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. I am excited that we have you here. You um, work for a really awesome social enterprise and We have not had many social enterprises at the scale that you guys are at on the show. So I'm super excited to dig in and talk to you a little bit more about not just like what you guys do, but how you do it, how things are set up, and just what are some of the amazing results that you guys are having. 
So AgriCycle Global, tell us more about the company and what you do and how you guys are making impact in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So AgriCycle Global sells ethically sourced and upcycled products from around the world by using simple technology that requires zero electricity to eliminate natural food loss and empower rural women farmers. And as a director of impact, I work closely with our global team to ensure our business model and our impact model align. And I also work on making sure that we have sustainability with the entire process of our operations. And that looks like a little, a lot of different things, but really focusing on strategic partnerships and non-dilutive funding streams and just constant communication with our products and our people. It definitely sounds like that your role is one that is very involved. Like you've got a lot of different, um, a lot of different areas that you kind of touch within the business. And I'd love to kind of dive more into that as we go along. But I'd also love to know what does that look like? So you help to like on one hand, empower rural women farmers, and you also help to kind of prevent a lot of like food and things like that from being wasted. And then you kind of have this component that's more supply chain based where you're having these products that help the women farmers that you empower to be able to like process their, their produce kind of on site, as opposed to, you know, getting very little money for it and maybe sending it elsewhere to be processed. So um, kind of in putting all that together, can you give us an example of kind of what that looks like um, in real life? Yeah, absolutely. So every year, 2.8 trillion pounds of food goes to waste. And in Sub-Saharan Africa in particular, over 95% of that is due to food loss, which is the phenomenon that happens when food doesn't ever even reach the market. So something to think about is like in the United States, 40% of food that is wasted happens at the consumer end. So I buy too much groceries, it goes, it's rotted, so I have to throw it out or there's an expiration date. But in rural communities where there's an excess of products and produce, but no market, a lot of food is going to waste. And that's what we call food loss. So that's where we really focus on is the food and the products that would otherwise have no value. They would be just going directly into the land to just rot, which emits a lot of methane and is really unfortunate because then if you have all of these products that you are throwing out, then you're like, why am I maintaining a tree that's not giving me value? So there's a lot that goes yeah. into it. So that's where really we come in and we're really focused. So like I said, on that food loss part. So transforming food loss into opportunity. And we work with women farmers uh, and smallholder farmers to create drying cooperatives and women-led cooperatives. So it can be a group of farmers um, and we really have an emphasis on that women leadership role. And that's where the food that would otherwise be wasted is being transformed into products that we sell globally. And we have currently right now our, we've fully launched our Jolly Fruit Crow brand, which sells uh, pineapple, 
jackfruit and mangoes and they're so delicious it's just naturally uh dried and transformed into these products that are delicious and our best like one of the best things about it is that it's fully traceable so whenever you get a bag of our jolly fruit co product you can just scan the bag and it will show you the whole story where that that product came from who processed it where it came in the supply chain and how it got to you right there. So it's a really exciting program and that really connects the consumers to the farmers and the women who produce the fruit. And then we have two additional brands that we're launching, our Tropical Ignition, which is better for everyone, charcoal. It's made from coconut and palm kernel waste. And then uh, there's so there's no trees that are involved. It's all, again, like waste that would have happened. And then we have our What the Fruit alternative flour line. So that's all uh, gluten-free flour. It's nutrient-dense, and it's really high in fiber, unlike traditional gluten-free flours. So we're really excited to bring products from around the world that would have already been – they would have been going to waste. Now we're providing more economic opportunity for rural communities And we're able to also connect cultures. I think that's like one of the cool things that I really love about what it is that you guys do is that there is this connection to where your food comes from and the stories of the people that are um, like harvesting it and processing it. I know sometimes, especially here in the U.S., we do not always have a connection to where our food comes from. And there have been you know, several movements, you know, in addition to like kind of buying local and, and, you know, trying to source things locally or from farms that are a certain distance away. But it seems like, you know, even still, we, we go to the grocery store, we buy, you know, fruits or vegetables, we have no idea where they come from, we come home, we eat them. But this is providing like a whole new level of transparency when it comes to the supply chain, which is super awesome. And I think giving, um, giving consumers a glimpse into what it's like on the kind of side of the supply chain that we don't always see. So I really love that about what you guys do. And I'm curious from the community standpoint, how is it that you guys are able to to enter these communities? And how is it that you help to empower the women there, but also use kind of a more co- cooperative model wherein you are understanding what the needs of the farmers and the communities are and then creating these successful partnerships? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, the answer is one of the biggest drivers for me of why I keep coming back to my job is we have an amazing global team. And our directors and leadership on a global level are also shareholders, which is really exciting. And they We have community development officers, we have food safety managers, we have our regional directors who are from the countries and the communities that we work in, and they provide such important insight and relationship building and connection that takes all of this to the next level, in my opinion, because it's really an opportunity to connect with the local communities with people who are 
from the area and who are who have worked in the area who have an immense knowledge of historical background, cultural background, political background to really help inform our partnerships and our relationships. And that's a really important component of also having that daily interaction with the network of farmers and cooperative members that we work with. So each cooperative has a community development officer that is working with them who goes and visits them and trains them on food safety, who provides financial literacy training because now they're getting directly paid at a higher price than sometimes they ever have. And so making sure that they're set up for success in that way and just having a lot of personal relationship development on the ground is really imperative. And that also builds trust with not only our company and the farmers, but also with our company and the local governments and the local entities and the local businesses so that we can, we can really have a, a authentic and long-term presence. And that is so incredibly important. And just that whole way that you are integrating locals into what it is that you're doing and, you know, making sure that there's training and and that there's understanding and that there are checks and balances and accountability, but that it's, it's very much something that's driven not only by, by the company, but by the people who kind of make up the, the farmers and the growers and the people who are kind of doing that, that work on the ground level. So I think I was reading on your website that the women farmers who, who you guys um, work through actually make about like seven times the, um, or get paid at a rate seven times higher than that of like farmers that aren't involved in your cooperatives. Is that right? Yeah, it is. So I can break that down if you're interested. Oh yeah. I'd love to hear more. Yeah. It's really, which I think is great. And this goes into um, this also goes back to our model of working with food loss. So think about how if all this food was going to waste, that's zero dollars that they're getting on it. And so we also, our pay structure, especially for the Jolly Fruit Co., is for every dried kilogram of fruit produced, we pay $5. So $5 per kilogram. Our passive solar dehydrators create up to three kilograms per day. So that's $15 a day. And they have a season that lasts two to three months and they have multiple seasons in the year. And so that alone is about $15 a day. Whereas the communities that we're working in, their average daily wage is less than $2. This is the, these are the most rural impoverished communities that we're working in. So we have we're going from not only are we providing value at something that was at $0, we're then also doing, we can pay up to $15 a day. And a really great thing about our model is we pay farmers and cooperatives directly. So that is, they're getting money immediately. Once we pick up their food, no more than two days after we pick up the product, are they having all the money in their bank account? Something though, that's important about that is two things. One, all of the products that they were selling locally continue to sell locally. So we do not want to disrupt any local markets. We're providing the opportunity for additional markets for all of that food that was otherwise going to waste, which is a really important thing because we want to, again, build trust in the community and don't want to displace any local markets. 
just providing that additional market linkage. But then also when you think about going from one to $2 a day to $15 a day, that's a lot. That is, that is life changing. And so what though, like, obviously there's a lot that you, a lot of needs that are met. Um, There's childcare costs, there's educational costs, there's healthcare costs that are all being able to be, that then are able to be paid and worked toward. But in addition, there's still savings there. So then that savings, we're able to work with them and we have built relationships with local financial institutions, local NGOs, uh, with banks, with uh, village savings and loans associations, all of those to really make sure that the cooperatives that we're working with and this, this money that's being infused is able to not only go toward the needs, the immediate needs, but also towards savings and toward being able to buy assets like our passive solar dehydrators. So women can and cooperatives buy those and then they own them. And with that asset, they're able to do so much more. They're able to have credit. They're able to maybe rent out that dehydrator for additional income and really then be able to be part of a larger process. So by working on this, like, food loss and by able to work directly with partners or excuse me, directly with cooperative members, we're able to eliminate middlemen and really provide economic opportunity directly to cooperatives. I love the idea that it's like, you're not only, you know, again, getting, getting higher wages, but like, what are, what are all of the implications of those higher wages that can transform the lives of the the women who are, are part of these cooperatives and I love like the care that you guys have, the care and the thought that you've put into, not just for, you know, hey, these are women in our co-ops that are producing these products, but more so like, how do we improve the lives of these, of these women overall? So where did kind of the, the initial idea for this come from? And, you know, what were the things that you guys were taking into consideration as you designed what is now become this really awesome global brand and, and a, a supply chain that reaches globally as well. Yeah, absolutely. So our founder, Josh Seffner, he's our CEO and founder. He was a engineering student and he went to the Blue Mountains in Jamaica to design passive solar dehydrators because there was an excess of fruit and there was no technology to to transform this into anything and the thought was the thought process was okay if there's technology then a market will just come like oh you have you're able to do this product and then people want it the thing is though is that what sometimes happens is if you provide technology or you introduce technology that then provides an additional product, but then you don't have the market linkage, you don't have the connection to an an additional market. All of that though also then goes to waste because you can't sell it, there's no one to sell to. And so he found that, okay, simple technology can be utilized to transform waste, but there has to be this other component. There has to be a market-based solution. 
And so then it went through iterations of, okay, how do we, do we become a nonprofit that works with somebody or do, do we oversee the entire supply chain or do we work with middlemen? Like all of these things that were coming to question because that was, that needed to be a part of it, but how do you make that? And that's really where, uh, thankfully, I mean, Josh is very thoughtful and has also been able to have some really incredible networks that he has tapped into. And something that was really exciting is that they were like, well, this vertically integrated supply chain where you are working with the entire start to finish process. And that allows also, because we have engineers who are brilliant and always thinking about innovative innovative ways to take on complex challenges, really saw like, okay, to combat this, we need it to be appropriate technology that is easy to use, easy to access, and we need to have the ability to connect producers with a global market. Really having both of those together is what what takes it to the next level. Absolutely. And I find that um, a lot of the people that I speak to when they're thinking about how they want to create um, new opportunities for seeing things differently or changes in the world, sustainability becomes like one of the, the key components that, and, and one of the, the, sometimes the kind of stumbling blocks for folks. It's like, we've got these really great ideas and we have, um, you know, people out there that need the help, but how, again, do we make it something that's sustainable, something that is um, going to be able to be around um, for the long term or as long as is needed to kind of see that solution through to its full capacity? So I think that that's really awesome that that was something that you guys were able to kind of figure out early on and, and integrate early on so that this becomes something that can stick around in perpetuity and continue to grow. And speaking of kind of growth, how is it that you guys envision your impact moving forward? Or are there other um, aspects within this greater context that you want to try to work on? Yeah, absolutely. So again, we have a very innovative team. And so it's really fun because we do have all of these ideas of how to empower communities all over the world by transforming waste into opportunity. And waste right now looks a lot like food loss um, and food waste, but how might that also be additional waste that we transform? So we're always thinking of, uh, of ways to really improve and something to, to think about. And just like with what we have right now is how our three brands interact with each other. And so, for instance, with if you're drying fruit and you're saying, let's say mango, let's take a mango, and you're drying the flesh of the fruit, then you're still left with the skin of the fruit and the pit of the fruit, of the mango. And what can you do with those items to divert more waste into additional products? You can grind the mango pit and you can turn it into the fruit flower and you can take the skin in the the pit as well and make it into a chicken feed or do something like that so it's you're utilizing the entire product to make additional brands and that's even a 
that gives it more value to that farmer. So it's like always going back and how can we utilize the entire process to make sure that we're we're diverting as much waste and empowering the communities as much as possible. And as we grow and as we build, I think that's always going to be a component of it is how can we make sure that every aspect of this is innovative, is adding value, is going back to the communities and also providing additional markets. Um, Are there markets that we haven't tapped into? A great example is right now we're selling in the United States, but what about the local markets? So we're exploring how to tap into the local East African markets, for example, for Jolly Fruit Co. So we're always thinking about those things. And I think one of the best things about being part of a social enterprise is we have very creative people who are also passionate and also doers. So they have the creativity and have the passion and have the execution to make it happen. Yeah. And that's such an important part of any social enterprise, right? Are those folks who are going to be the drivers who are really going to um, be committed to to innovation and to driving the ideas forward. And one of the things that we try to talk about on our show as well is income and impact, like being able to create things in the world that can that can make money, but also can impact the people who are a part of them. So in terms of the income component for your company, how did that work, especially from from a startup? lens? Is it something that you had people invest in initially, like, you know, invest investment firms or places like that? Or did you have to bootstrap it and, and build some social capital and get some, you know, really passionate people to put up the money for it? How is it that you guys structured that, like raising that initial capital to get everything started? Yeah. So our founder and CEO, Josh, really took this idea and kept iterating it until it really grew into what it is today. And a really big reason why it had grown is because he and the original team and the work that they've all done is really making sure that it moves forward and just putting a lot of heart and energy in it. And that was building a network that was learning about the process. It was deciding which approach was going to be best. And then once that happened, really getting to the point where then it's like we're raising money. So a really exciting thing that has recently happened is we've closed our seed round funding. So raised $1.5 million. And uh, that has really helped us take this from the idea to now really to being on market, improving our model and going to the next step. And so we have raised money. We've we have investors and we're also part of my role is also thinking about non-dilutive funding. So what grants might be out there? What programs might be out there for social enterprises like us who are business and impact driven? And so that is a big part of our exploration and a big part of our um how can we make sure that we have diverse funding streams? And then, of course, we are a business. We're a for-profit. We're a social enterprise. And so while we have a huge emphasis on impact, we're also 
we are also selling things. So we have sales and the sales are a really important component in one way. Something that's beautiful is like our business model and our impact model really work off each other. And so something we were talking about recently, our global team was together of how having our sales team and marketing team really working on selling the product and marketing the product also creates impact because we can put it back into the company, build our network, build our infrastructure, build our team to to empower more communities. So they work really hand in hand, but it is important to note that our business model and our impact model really closely align and we have raised money. We are looking for additional funding streams and we, we sell our product. And it's such a cool, you know, again, such a cool balance. And I hope that for any of our listeners who are thinking about starting a social enterprise um, can think about that in terms of, you know, there are a lot of different avenues through which you can fund an idea and that having that team of people who are driving your idea forward and who are, you know, subject matter experts and really understand and know what they're doing and creating the a um, an impact driven plan and then actually seeing that through and kind of having those different iterative models and finding those like that sweet spot where you you know manage to employ those best practices in a way that like makes it all really work is just so incredibly important. And yeah, of course, like you said, the sales are important as well. So that way that the money that comes from people actually consuming the products goes back into helping the enterprise grow. So that is such a beautiful thing. So if any of our listeners were actually interested in like trying some of the the new like Jolly Fruit products that have come out, where can we find it? How can we order it? How can we support? So first of all, they're amazing products. Like I like gin, like such good, high quality. Not only are they benefiting the community, but they're so delicious. So please go and buy them. Uh, I just went on a long bike ride and the dried fruit really helped my sugar levels. So it was great. Um, but we should all go to Jolly Fruit Co. It's jollyfruit.co. And it is a beautiful website. It's a beautiful brand. Our chief branding officer has put so much soul and energy into this. So it's beautiful. You can buy the products directly there. And you can even subscribe to get a box every month. So that or every two months, however you want to set it up. But yeah, so jollyfruit.co. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter on Jolly Fruit Co., And then for our entire company, LinkedIn is a great way of following our news and what we're doing for AgriCycle Global. Excellent. Yeah. And I can attest to the fact that the website is like beautiful. That was like one of the reasons I'm like, I have to have them on this podcast because it really, and it just inspires so much joy. And I think it's like the colors, you can really see the faces of the women who are working in the, in the cooperatives. And it's such a beautiful kind of inspiring website. So not only will you feel, you know, feel all the the good feelings and good vibes, but you'll also get some really great fruit as well. So we will keep that in the in the show notes for all of our listeners. So you can go and order your Jolly Fruit products. And then I know you've got your two other brands, you've got the sustainable charcoal as well as the fruit flower. Do you know when those will be launching and be available for sale? Or is that something you're still working on? Yeah, we are still working on them, but they're actually coming soon because 
one of the things that we have found through COVID-19 is people are baking. People are looking for alternative fruit. And those are, are what the fruit flower will be sold on Amazon coming soon, I would say within the next month. So it's beginning of May now. So look in end of May. And then similarly, the tropical ignition for all of you grillers out there, especially as it's getting warmer, we are going to be selling our products starting in the next three to six weeks as well. I'm so excited for, for our listeners to be able to follow you guys and to learn more. I'm going to be following you and ordering my jolly fruit this week. So I hope everyone else is going to do the same. And thank you so much for being on today. Yeah, thank you. It was great chatting with you. Hey, can you do us a favor? If you like what you've heard, can you leave us a review and hit subscribe? It'll help us to get the word out more about people making things better. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.